Welcome to In Layman's Terms, a podcast dedicated to stories of discipleship and putting Scripture to use in our daily lives. I'm your host, Todd Seifert. I'm the Communications Director for the Great Plains Conference of the United Methodist Church, comprised of just fewer than 1,000 churches throughout Kansas and Nebraska. I'm also a certified lay minister in the United Methodist Church, so what you hear on this show truly comes to you in layman's terms. I have more than 25 years' experience teaching the Bible to everyone from teenagers to 90-somethings, and I served as a journalist for 20 years prior to entering ministry. So I'm excited to share with you stories of disciples in action and to explore with you what the Bible has to teach us in the 21st century. Some episodes focus on a person or church doing great things to serve as the hands and feet of Christ. Some episodes feature interviews with experts who can help us along our faith journey. Still others include short reflections on Scripture. Thank you for joining me. beloved Old Testament lessons comes from Micah chapter 6 verses 6 through 8. We often focus on verse 8 which says, He, meaning God, has told you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness, some translations use the word mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. tell you a story about a man who eventually embraced all of those things, justice, kindness, slash mercy, and humbleness. But it's a man who didn't start off that way, not by a long shot. Yeah, in this episode, I want to tell the story of John Newton. It's a story some of you have heard before. He's the writer of the beloved hymn that we openly sing today, Amazing Grace. Indeed, John Newton wrote that hymn when he was an Anglican priest serving in England, But it took him a very, very long time, a long faith journey, to get there. John was born in 1725 in the London area. His father was a shipping merchant, and his mother wanted him to be a priest. Unfortunately, his mother died when John was just six years old. And eventually, John's father remarried. And his stepmother was, we'll just say, less than affectionate. Eventually, John was shipped off to boarding school. At the age of 11, John Newton joined his dad's ship as an apprentice. And by his own admission, John started a cycle of finding his faith, questioning his faith, losing his faith, regaining it a little bit, and then going through that cycle again. In fact, John once wrote, quote, Like an unwary sailor who quits his post just before a rising storm, I renounced the hopes and comforts of the gospel at the very time when every other comfort was about to fail me, end quote. In other words, when John Newton needed his faith the most, he chose to ignore it. A little later in life, John Newton joined, or perhaps the better word is drafted, into the Royal Navy. But John 
was not a very good military person. He wasn't a good sailor. Oh, he could handle the sailing part okay. It was the military obedience that he couldn't handle. One day he deserted to go visit a woman named Polly. And upon being found, he basically was traded from the Royal Navy to a merchant marine type of operation. Except unlike his dad's ship, which would have carried things like sugar and grain, this one carried people, as in slaves. John's ship would pick up newly enslaved tribesmen and women from the western horn of Africa in Sierra Leone. Some tribes in Africa would enslave other tribes. They would get into skirmishes or wars, capture their enemy, and sell them off. Sometimes slave companies themselves would round up people, basically kidnap them, and sell them into slavery. The slave traders would look for such things as strength and muscle tone. They would try to guess at just how good these people would be at breeding. Would they create strong children? They treated them like cattle, like livestock. These slave traders would strip people naked and pack them into the hull of a ship, often 300 to 500 people, stacked in so closely that when they did lie down, they would have to lie on each other when they slept. There was stagnant air. There was human waste all around. And in the hot and humid weather crossing over the ocean, there was little airflow. So if one person got sick, a lot of people got sick. It's estimated that about 12.5 million Africans were brought to the New World as slaves. But as many as 4 million of those folks died en route. Now when the slave ship would finally get to either the Caribbean or to the American colonies, where people would be paraded around and sold at auction, unfortunately, the slaves were often separated. Husbands from wives, parents from their children, and then we know about the brutality of their lives after they landed here. They were forced to work long days in the heat and humidity, working six or even seven days a week. They were whipped and beaten, often for no reason. And there was always that risk. Now we just look at it as a term, but being sold down the river was a very real thing. Now if you were lucky enough that your family stayed together after you were captured and brought over to this strange land, it might mean that at that point you were sold and separated from each other. Or maybe you were separated all the way back in Africa, but you found a new family in the United States or the colonies at that point. You could be separated yet again. Slave labor. It's often referred to as our nation's original sin. I honestly can't think of anything more shameful from our country's past. It was a practice condoned for many reasons, but there are two primary ones, at least that I can think of. One is obviously money. Money in the pockets of large landowners who influenced the politics of the day. And then, of course, there's the superiority complex, the privilege of white people, like me. White people who viewed others, people of color, as being less than themselves in most cases, less than human. And yes, that happens today. As I'm recording this podcast, we're just days separated from a young man walking into a supermarket in Buffalo, New York and killing 10 people. He went there 
because he wanted to kill as many black people as possible. I don't have any idea what goes through somebody's mind that makes them think about such a thing. What makes them seek out such a thing? I just, I just don't get it. But there are other more subtle things that happen all the time. Black people are turned away economically. They're held down by lack of education, lack of opportunity, because they don't have wealth. They don't have wealth because of systemic racism that was set up decades upon decades ago. Now, I want to tell you that I've had the privilege of working with some of the most amazing black pastors that we have here in the Great Plains Conference, which is comprised of roughly a thousand churches in Kansas and Nebraska. After the death of George Floyd in May 2020, I had the opportunity to tell their stories on this podcast. To hear their stories, you can go to toddseifert.com, click on podcast, and scroll down to episodes 25, 26, and 29 in particular. Together, those three won the Best in Class Award in the News and Magazine Broadcast category from the Religion Communicators Council. That's an ecumenical organization that brings together people in communications ministries from numerous faith traditions. The stories that were shared were heartbreaking, but they were powerful. And I think it's important that white people like me hear them. If you've heard them before, if you listen to that podcast, thank you. Go listen to them again. Their stories reminded me of the equity that we should be striving for. Not just because it's kind of the cool thing right now to be part of the Black Lives Matter movement, or because Christ suggested it, because he didn't suggest it at all. Jesus demanded it of us. I don't think you can read the Gospels with any intent or eagerness to learn and fail to pick up that point. But yet, so many people who claim to be Christians totally ignore it. You see, I think there's a difference. There's a difference between people of color and white people like myself. When I finished those conversations with the black pastors, I could go back to my home, to my mostly white community, where it was very doubtful that I would be picked on or harmed in any way. They simply can't do the same, ever. And you know what? That was the world that John Newton lived in. You see, he helped capture, chain, and transport other human beings to be sold as chattel property thousands of miles away from their homeland. And eventually, he became the captain of that kind of ship. He had all the authority in the world, and he chose to do that, to capture and sell other human beings. And then he would just go home. He'd go home and rest until it was time for him to take the next trip to the Western Horn of Africa to do the same despicable act again and again. John Newton once said that he thought nothing of it at the time. He felt no shame. He felt no concern for the people underneath the deck of that ship. He had no feeling of responsibility for what he was doing to other people. He didn't know any justice. He didn't know any kindness. He showed no mercy. And he certainly wasn't humble before God. In fact, he said he was all arrogance all the time. Finally, on one journey in 1748, John Newton was serving on the slave ship Greyhound when a violent storm struck as they crossed the Atlantic Ocean. A man standing where John had been just moments earlier was swept off the deck by a huge wave and he was never seen again. 
John Newton and the other men used buckets to scoop water off the deck and to throw it back out into the ocean to keep the ship afloat. And for the first time in a long time, John found himself praying. He was praying for God's mercy. prayer, in that instant, that was the start of John Newton's journey back toward God. But it's important to note that it was only the start. After the immediate danger had passed, John drew the assignment to steer the ship for about 11 hours. And he said that while he stood there with the wheel in his hands for that duration of time, he had plenty of time on his hands to ponder. So he thought about his faith. He wondered if God would have mercy on him, not just from the storms that were still hitting the ship, but would God also save him from the storms in his life and the role that he was playing in enslaving other human beings? Well, a little while later, John Newton eventually announced that he was going to marry that woman named Polly. That's the woman who he deserted the Navy to go see that time, the act that actually put him on a slave ship to start with. John once was known as a sailor who could cuss even more so than, well, well, a sailor. Well, John started to clean up his act. But he wasn't done yet. He kept making that circuit with the slave ship. But with each trip, he thought more and more, what was he doing wrong? What did God want him to do? And he started to ponder scripture more and more deeply. Now, I don't know for sure, but I think he must have thought about all of the pieces of Micah 6.8. I think John Newton probably realized finally that he had to act justly by not participating in such an evil industry. I think John Newton realized that he needed to love mercy and kindness by changing so he would be a better husband and provide a better home by being a better man. And I think he understood that he had to walk humbly with God by recognizing all the wrong that he had done and to do whatever he could to make things right. And I think eventually John Newton started to understand the teachings from the Apostle Paul that we read in Galatians chapter 3 verses 23 through 29. It reads as follows. Now before faith came we were imprisoned and guarded under the law until faith would be revealed. Therefore the law was our disciplinarian until Christ came, so that we might be reckoned as righteous by faith. But now the faith has come, we are no longer subject to a disciplinarian. For in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. As many of you as were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male and female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. In this passage, Paul is trying to teach the church in Galatia a lesson that we still need to learn in the 21st century. All people are equal in God's eyes. Jesus came to earth to reconcile all of humankind to God regardless of the color of skin, how much money a person makes, 
the amount of schooling a person has had, whether a person owns a large home, sleeps in a small apartment, or even has nowhere to rest their head at night. John Newton started to understand that the things that we human beings employ to separate ourselves, to cordon ourselves off, the labels that we place on each other, are absolutely meaningless. They're nonsense. God couldn't care less about the barriers that we put up to separate ourselves. Not our race, not our political beliefs, not our sexuality, not the number of zeros in our bank accounts. John Newton finally realized this truth shared by the Apostle Paul to a church long ago, and John finally took steps to actually live his beliefs. It took a while, but John finally left slave trading, and he took a job as a clerk. He taught himself Latin, Greek, and theology. And he and Polly finally got married, and they actually got very heavily involved in their church community. John Newton even took steps to become a priest, but it's really interesting, he initially was declined. Now presumably it was because he didn't have any formal education, but there was a lot of speculation at the time that it really was because he was just too strong of evangelist, and that kind of rubbed the Anglicans the wrong way. But not as badly as his association with people who were becoming known for the way that they studied scripture, the way they prayed, the way they visited the sick and the imprisoned. You might have heard of them. They were led by a guy named John Wesley, and they were known as Methodists. John Newton finally started writing about his time in the slave trade. He wrote about what he did. He shared what he saw. He talked openly about how people suffered, how people were separated from their families, their brutality. He told the whole story. And finally, a little while later, John was finally given a community to serve, Olney. It was a little village of about 2,500 people whose major industry was making lace. And it turns out John really loved music. So it was a big part of the worship experience for him. And he simply couldn't find enough songs that he really liked to support his ministry. At least not enough songs that spoke openly about repentance, redemption, sacrifice, and God's forgiveness. So he started to write his own songs. And one of the hymns that he wrote is one that we sing quite often. Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. John's not pulling any punches there, is he? He's confessing to his sins. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. He sees that he was not living the way that God wanted him to. And he understands now, finally, that black men and women are people. They're not cattle. They're not other animals. They are people. They deserve dignity. They should be treated as God's creation. Now, thankfully, the slavery in the form that John Newton took part in is dead. But there is still slavery in the world. A lot of it. Somewhere between 15,000 and 50,000 women and children are forced into sexual slavery every year just in the United States. Every year. 
And as we've already discussed a little bit, African-American people still live with the legacy of slavery. They were given absolutely zero advantages after being freed, and then constantly held down by systemic racism such as redlining and corrupt economic practices that targeted non-whites across the country. So people of color have had an uphill battle since the day the first African slaves landed on this continent. Oh sure, people can work their way out of poverty. It can be done. And I bet some people listening to this podcast have done just that by working really hard. But remember that we white people can do it by working hard without the limitations that society has put on us because there are no limitations on us. Non-whites simply have a more difficult time because of the legacy of what John Newton supported before his conversion. And it's not going away anytime soon. So what's our job? Put simply, it's to do the things that John Newton finally recognized, and we can use Micah 6.8 as a framework. First, we can seek justice. We can do something like getting involved in local politics by speaking out, writing letters, and taking part in protests. Or we can do something small but important by speaking out when you hear of an injustice of any kind. Or step up and put a stop to things when you hear a racial joke. Let people around you know that that's not okay. Second, we can love mercy and kindness. Let's show love to all people regardless of their color or circumstance. I know that that sounds simple, but if it were really that easy, we would all be doing it, and our world wouldn't look as ugly as it does today. And finally, we can all walk humbly with our God. As the Apostle Paul taught, we are all equal. Anyone who belongs to Christ is part of Abraham's offspring, meaning we are part of God's chosen people. And color doesn't have anything at all to do with that. You know, there's a contemporized version of Amazing Grace that adds a refrain. I'm sure you've probably heard it on Christian radio. My chains are gone. I've been set free. My God, my Savior, has ransomed me. And like a flood, His mercy reigns. Unending love, amazing grace. So if you feel lost, let Jesus find you today. If you feel blinded, let the Holy Spirit open your eyes. And if you feel unworthy, well, bad news for you. It's because you are unworthy. I'm unworthy. We are all unworthy. But like that newer refrain says, like a flood, his mercy reigns. It's an unending love from our Savior. It's his amazing grace washing over us. So let the grace available from Jesus Christ wash over you today, just like Jesus did for John Newton. Special thanks during this episode and to others in our Songs of Faith series to my wife, Reverend Amy Seifert, for providing the background piano music for our featured song each time. Obviously, for this episode, that's Amazing Grace. We still have two more songs to cover in this series, so I hope you'll join me to hear their stories as well. In Layman's Terms is a podcast sponsored by the Great Plains Conference of the United Methodist Church and by me, your host, Todd Seifert. If you like what you've heard in this episode, please go rate us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening. It helps others find us. 
And if you're so inclined, please share the link to this podcast on your social media channels. Our music and sound effects come via subscriptions to Universal Production Music and to Storyblocks. You can find archived episodes on the conference website at www.greatplainsumc.org podcasts or on my website, toddseifert.com. Please email me with any questions or comments to tseifert at greatplainsumc.org and I'll do my best to respond as quickly as possible. Thank you for listening. And until next time, please do what you can to help make more disciples of Jesus Christ. You can play a small part in helping change a life.